When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we do, I would love for my audience to get to know you a little bit. So tell us who you are, what you do, your favorite color, your social security number. We're here for all of it. All of the important things. All of the important things. First of all, I'm Taylor. I am based in Chicago and I am the founder of Inner Workout and now I'm also the author. I'm getting used to saying that of a book also called Inner Workout and I like to say that I help develop leaders who care and I help people build the skill of self-care. And what's fun about my job is that it looks a lot of different ways. So earlier today, I was working with high schoolers. We were talking all about the ways that we talk to and about our bodies. Yesterday, I was working with a group of principals in Dallas and we were helping them. I mean, principals' jobs are crazy and especially now. So we were helping them build some skills around mindfulness and self-care. And then I do a lot on the internet. We have a podcast too. There are workshops that we lead every month. And I'm really interested in taking the conversation about self-care away from being something that's like kind of surface level and into something where people are like, oh yes, I can apply this to my life. I get where this can fit in. I would have loved to have heard that conversation in high school about how to talk to my body. Like, why did I need to learn the Pythagorean theorem that I've never once used in my life, but I was never taught how to, like, speak kindly to myself or how to file my taxes? Like, I feel like that would have been a little more useful information. I want to know, how did you get here? Where, when did this start? When, when did this... I guess like fascination with self-care and digging deeper into it. When did that start? It started for me really in 2017. And I want to be really clear that it started not because I was like, oh, I'm good at self-care. It started because I kept burning myself out. I was in this season in 2017 where I was still relatively new in my career, but I had joined a startup. I was their first full-time employee. I had a lot of responsibility. It was working a business on the side. Um, I was volunteering with two nonprofits and I had just gotten married and there's just constantly so much going on in my life. And I felt like I kept coming to this place of burnout and I might like quit some things, but then I'd fill my schedule up again. Or I'd say like, oh, I'm going to get a massage. And then a couple days later, I'd feel (laughs) stressed out again. And I was like, this is not working. The way that I've been exposed to the concept of self-care, which was mostly around like spending money on yourself and kind of treating yourself, it wasn't helping me feel cared for in my daily life. And so I started exploring what can I do to actually feel cared for, to actually feel supported, started talking about it, on my own journey and then next thing I knew I was starting a business about self-care. I love it. Well, I took your take care assessment, which for anybody listening, I'm going to let you explain it a little bit more, but basically it measures your it measures your well-being across five dimensions, right? So, before I want to share with you a few of my results and get into them, but before I do, do you want to explain what the five dimensions are and just kind of how you came about selecting them? Absolutely. So, they're inspired by this yogic concept of the koshas. I was first exposed to them during my yoga teacher training, and it unlocked something for me because I was like, "Oh, That's another reason why my self-care wasn't working because I was only focusing on my physical body and there were all of these other parts of me that also needed care. So the five dimensions of well-being is the physical. And when we're talking about it at Inner Workout and in the book, it's less about eating specific foods or moving your body in a certain way. And it's more about what what I was talking to the high schoolers about, how we can hear from our bodies 
how we're speaking to our bodies and that conversation that's happening. There's the energetic dimension, which is partly supported by your breath, has such a huge impact on your energy, and also the way that energy works in your life. We all probably have that experience of like leaving, hanging out with someone and just being like so exhausted because they sucked your energy. And so that's part of the energetic dimension. There's the mental and emotional dimension that looks at what you what comes into your brain as inputs, like what we're reading, watching, listening to, how we're using our brain. Also what comes out of our brain in the form of thoughts, feelings, emotions. And that's all supported by sleep because if this, I, I was gonna say it might just be me, but it's really not. Like humans need sleep. If we do not have Absolutely. enough sleep over time, it really affects not just our physical experience, but also our cognitive and our emotional ability to regulate. Then there's the wisdom dimension, which is about being in the present moment. I strongly believe that we're most powerful when we're most present. It's about hearing from your own inner wisdom and taking aligned action. It's one thing to like hear like, oh yeah, inner wisdom. This is what I'm supposed to do. It's a completely different thing to actually act on that. And then the last dimension is the bliss dimension, which is all about connection. Connection to you, connection to your community. Community care is very important. Even though I talk a lot about self-care, oftentimes our self-care is supported or detracted from based on the communities that we're a part of. And then finally, connection to something bigger than you, whether that's being in nature or spirituality. So that's like your quick Spark Notes version of the five dimensions of well-being. So I have a question also. Is the assessment, does it go changing depending on your responses or are they the same questions for every single person? That's a great question. They're the same 75 questions. And I really like that. I tend to take the take care assessment every three to six months. And the questions over time, like it's enough time that you you kind of forget what they are, but you're like, oh yeah, this is familiar. And I vaguely remember that I answered this differently last time. Mm -hmm. I loved it because the I feel like the questions in the assessment, they're so simple, but very powerful, honestly. And at the end, it provided me, I had no idea what to expect. And at the end, it provided me with different percentages, right? And I wrote a few notes down because I wanted to share some, but I was definitely not surprised with, with my physical percentage. How would you describe that? How, how can I verbalize it better? Like the, the... Yeah. So everyone in your mind, you can picture that there is like the overall dimension. So like physical, for example, and then underneath each dimension, there's two or three sub dimensions. So you've got like one percentage for physical. And I want to be clear, these are not like scores. It's not school. You can't fail. It's just giving you a sense of, oh, this might need a little care right now. And so you've got the dimension overall percentage and then each sub dimension has its own percentage as well so under physical there is embodiment body awareness and body acceptance are the sub dimensions and those all get their own percentage underneath the big percentage of the physical dimension so do this do the sub dimensions this might be a dumb question do they affect the overall percentage or are they all separate yeah the overall percentage is basically an average of the sub dimensions okay. so that okay, it is all perfect. connected okay okay cool so i was definitely not surprised when my physical one the body acceptance percentage came in at 44 percent i would love to know if this is something i talk a lot about body acceptance and body neutrality and all these um concepts whichever one sounds better to whoever's listening. I talk a lot about that on the podcast and I would love to know if that's something that you see often with women, like this this specific um, sub-dimension coming in at a lower percentage. Yeah, so it's we did this about a year ago and the physical dimension was in broadly was a place where a lot of people tended to score lower. And unfortunately, body acceptance is one of the places where it score, scores lower as well. And I mean, I think there are so so many reasons for that. There's so much messaging that we receive, especially as women, on what we're supposed to look like. And it takes a lot of unlearning to happen before we can really learn to accept ourselves and or be in like a neutral, respectful relationship with ourselves. So you're not alone at all. Yeah, I feel like it's a 
it's an I, I I feel like for somebody who has struggled with body acceptance in any capacity, I feel like it's one of those things that you kind of have to work on every single day. Like I don't know that at least personally, I don't know that I will ever get to a point, maybe hopefully where I'm just like, I'm good, you know, like I'm good. Like the work here is done. Like I don't need to put any more work into this. I feel like this is an area where as we grow and as our bodies change and as we're in different seasons of life and whatever it may be, I feel like it's one of those areas where we always kind of have to be putting in the work, like you're saying, like unlearning certain thoughts or patterns or beliefs. Absolutely. And that's so critical to the way that I think about self-care in general before I started doing this work, I was often kind of taught that like you make your self-care routine and that's just what you do, but we're humans and humans are part of nature. And so I like to think about things seasonally and cyclically. Like what I need right now as a Chicagoan in the winter is different than what I need as a Chicagoan in the summer. What I need as someone who's preparing to launch a book for the first time is different than what I need as someone who's like going to lead a workshop that I've led a million times. So we are, the care that we need to give ourselves is going to shift and change. And there's always probably gonna be something that feels a little bit wobbly. We're learning new skills. We're learning new ways to care for ourselves every day. I love that you said that because I think sometimes we can get into autopilot, right? When we find a certain routine or certain whatever practice when we find something that works we can tend to get into autopilot which i think is a survival mechanism in in some ways and i think that can be good and beneficial i am a very routine oriented person but i think something that i've realized with myself is sometimes breaking that routine is so important and sometimes it's exactly what i need because like you're saying sometimes i'm in a season where i might just need something different even if it's the slightest different thing in my morning or in my evening or it's it's more of something or it's less of something else but i think sometimes we get so caught up in just okay just you know this is what i got to do this morning i it's just like on autopilot we don't even think about we're just going through the motions and not even thinking about is this really is this morning routine for an example is this serving me right now is this making me happy am i loving all of these things like I'm very particular with my mornings and I know once the things that I love to do in the morning, when they start to feel like it's just something I have to tick off my to-do list, I know that I have to like take a step back and be like, okay, this is either I need to find something else or I need to take a break for a second because that's not, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because it fills my cup, not because it's just one more thing on a, on a, to-do list. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I actually talk about that in the book and I have like a few signs that you might be entering in a new season and you might need to build new routines. And one of them is when it's like, I'm just going through the motions. This like bores me. This doesn't feel supportive anymore. It's like, if the goal is self-care, then maybe this isn't the best way to get there right now. I also realized we hopped right into the five dimensions of well-being. It might be useful for me to share like the definition that I use, what I mean when I say self-care, because there's so many things out there. So the definition that I love is that self-care is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. So it really shifts self-care just outside of only being an action that I do or a list of things that are self-care and everything else isn't self-care to I'm having this conversation with myself. I'm checking in. What do I need? And then I'm finding the most loving way to give myself that and doing that with whatever resources I have available to me. So whenever I'm talking about self-care in this conversation, that's always what I'm mapping back to. Listening within, responding with the most loving way, in the most loving way possible. That's such a beautiful definition. And I think, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but something that I struggled with before was my certain self-care practices, which at one point in my life consisted of severely overworking like overworking out working out way too much letting go of a certain practice or identity that we sometimes can attach ourselves to because we are realizing that it's no longer serving us letting go of it and kind of trying to find whatever we're going to replace it with or maybe leave space open for 
I don't think we talk enough about how that can be really hard to even just within yourself accept that that is no longer something that is working for you like that's something to me that's like even hard to this day because I went through such a rough period with my body and and food and just very I was so sucked into diet culture years ago and I've spent years trying to heal that right but it was so hard for me to let go of that because I loved working out and I love working out and I still do but the way and the frequency and the amount that I was doing was just not sustainable and it was literally destroying me but like letting go of that part of my identity was so hard it's still something that like stings me because I'm like oh like you know, I loved when I would do this certain workout or I loved when I would go to this certain studio and I loved that I had this like strict routine. I loved that about myself, but I know that I don't want that anymore, but it's still so hard to like let it go. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's real. Like there's grief that's that can be involved when you're moving from like this season and you developed those things because you felt like they were supporting you in some way at a certain part of your life. And I always go back to this quote from Maya Angelou that we do the best that we can until we know better. And then we know better, we do better. And like you were doing the best that you could, you were doing the best that you knew how to, and then you learned better and now you're doing better. But there's a part of you that's like, oh, but that that used to feel good. Yeah. And it's weird that it doesn't anymore. It's like weird to be in this space where you can see and you can empathize with that part of you that got something out of approaching working out that way, approaching your re- re- relationship to food in that way, and also to be in the space where you know it doesn't serve you anymore. This is somewhat, it, it's making me think of, um, there's this restaurant that's in like this lake town north of Chicago. And it used to be so good when I was a kid. My parents and I would drive up there at least once a summer and we'd like spend a day or a weekend there and it was so good. They had like this best seafood. And then at some point in my childhood, they switched owners and we went back the next summer and it wasn't as good. And we kept going back for four or five summers because we were like, we remember when it used to be yeah. good. And it was so That's hard. such a good example. That, yeah. Right? Yeah. And that kind of sounds like what I'm hearing where you're like, oh, yeah. but it used to be so good. I know. It's crazy. Like letting, I feel like we don't talk enough about that, enough about like identities and like letting go of one. But I want to get back to the um, assessment really quick, which I will link in the um, episode show notes because it's free and I highly suggest everybody do it. It was so, just like so nice to, I love a test. I love like an assessment test because I love learning more about myself. So highly recommend everybody doing it but I also love at the end that depending on your results there are actual tangible things that you can either do or think about and I saw a space in mine where it allowed me space to write a letter to my inner critic and this I was immediately like my eyes immediately gravitated towards that because I've been talking lately on my podcast about inner critics because my therapist is trying to help me you know kind of take mine down and trying to shut her up. So I would love to get into this for a little bit and see how you would describe an inner critic. Like, what does that even mean to you? Yeah, this is such a great question. So I think our inner critic, something that's helpful for me is that my, is to like figure out which version of my inner critic is talking at any given time. And one of my favorite questions to do that is like, if I'm like, they're going to think this, or I have this voice that's very clearly my inner critic or an inner critic saying something. I'm like, okay, who's behind that? And sometimes it's the most random people. It's like this girl I went to in high school that I don't even talk to anymore, but I think that she would think this about my decision or she would think this if I posted this on Instagram. So an inner critic is I think of it as something inside side of you that could be a version of you. It could be a past version of you. Like I'm thinking of what you just said. It could be the version of you that overworked out that is saying things to you. Or it could be like for me, this random person I went to high school with or this old colleague from my first job and they're criticizing you. They're saying like, you're bad, you're wrong, or they're telling you how you should be. How do you silence yours? Or maybe not silence yours, but how do you not let an inner critic drive the car? I think the first piece is to realize like, oh, that is not me. 
that is this critic that is having a voice. And then, like I mentioned, actually trying to parse out where they're coming from in almost having a conversation. If you want to, like you can have that conversation out loud. You can do it in your journal, but being like, oh, I had this recently where I was making a decision about one of my businesses and there's this one person who's like, was just sticking in my head about how I thought that they would respond and then being like, okay, why am I so concerned? Do I actually care about their opinion or does their opinion reflect something that I want? Like, and with this person, I was thinking they're going to think I'm a bad leader. And so what I actually needed to do is reflect on what does a good leader mean to me? Let me define that for myself. And how can I make this decision in a way that is aligned to what a good leader means to me? So I like to almost use my inner critic to guide me back to myself because normally there's a message of what I want. This also happened, I'm thinking about applying for a PhD program. I was talking about this with my coach and I was saying, yeah, like this other person, they did this postgraduate program and I was trying to figure out if I was jealous of them or not. And she just reminded me like, huh, maybe the fact that like this person keeps coming to mind might be a sign that this is something that you want and you're seeing it in this other person and it's coming out as jealousy, but it's actually a sign that you want this for yourself. I always go back to this quote by Mel Robbins and she said, jealousy can be a compass to things you actually want. And it just, everything made sense to me when I heard that quote, everything in terms of jealousy made sense to me because I feel like we see jealousy as such a bad thing, which yes, it can be very negative, right? However, if we're trying to be productive, we could actually use it for good and be curious. Like I now, when I feel some sort of sting, I'm curious with myself. I'm like, okay, what is going on here? What is it that, what's going on over there that you want or that you think you can't have or that in some way it's making you feel a certain kind of emotion, right? I think we can actually use these emotions for good, but I love how you bring your inner critic back to yourself. Like you almost take the power away and and take it back yourself. I, lo- I think that's something we can all do more of. I love that. So I had the honor of receiving an advanced copy of your new book, which by the time you guys are listening to this episode is available. It is live. Um, I'm not finished yet, but I'm on chapter four, I believe. And I just have to tell you, like, I'm loving it so much, like so, so, so much. And the design is so beautiful. It's so aesthetic. And I'm a huge reader. I love reading anything like self-help and self-development. And the book is incredible. Like I can't wait to finish it. Um, And I have a few notes that I want to talk about. So I overwhelmingly identified with a part in the beginning where you mentioned the concept of good enoughness. And Mm. I was so intrigued to hear you mention how this concept or this notion can can be coming from a place of stress like i had never put those two together where we're so stressed and that is why we're like am i doing enough am i working enough am i pretty enough am i saving enough am i being a good friend enough like the list goes on so i would love if we could talk a little bit about just the overall concept of good enoughness and potentially how we can combat it i think that and it's funny because when like I I coach with clients and getting to lead workshops, like you start to realize so many of the things that people are stressed about go back to a story of enough. Enough is in there or not being enough is in there somewhere. And it could be where you feel like I don't have enough money or I don't have enough followers or I don't have enough whatever. Or it could be like you got to the place that you thought was enough and you thought that it was gonna give you all of this like you thought you would feel differently. And then the bar just moves. And that's why enough is so tricky because it can constantly be fueling our our stress because it's not really concrete. Most of us don't take the time to define what enough is for ourselves. And that's something that I just find over and over again in my work is going back to defining things for ourselves. What does this mean to me? How will I know what enough is? How will I feel like I am enough? How will I feel like I'm talented enough or comfortable enough interviewing or these things? And so in order to do that, it's a lot of reflection. It's also a lot of deconditioning. Like I have been through bouts with my business where it's like, 
we get a ton of subscribers to the newsletter, but then most of them aren't opening. And so I realized I thought it was all about people being on the newsletter, but I realized that's actually not it. And so I have to take so much time for everything to come back to, why am I doing this? Why am I working towards this thing? Why am I saying this is enough? And what do I think it's going to get me to? I do a lot of work with my own personal mission, vision, values, and definitions of success. And I am constantly coming back to my definitions of success to be like, oh, this is how I know that I'm successful. Not all of these things that other people told me I needed to get to to be enough. And doing that has a big impact on my stress levels when I'm just grounded in other people may not get this. Other people may think like Taylor's a bum, she's not successful, but I look and I'm like, no, I am completely down the board successful according to my own definitions and measures of success. I love this. And I think it's something we should all do like so worthwhile is to define these different things because if you don't even know what they look like how will you know when you have them right like i don't know what success means to you and you don't know what success means to me and that's a a, a beautiful thing because we have different definitions of it probably right and so i think the issue there is so many people don't even know what like i don't think i even know what i consider as success for myself because maybe what i consider as success for somebody else, I wouldn't have that same definition for myself. You know what I mean? So it's like, and I also think the definition can probably change over time, right? But I think setting aside some time and like actually thinking about this, like thinking about like, what is actually enough? Because we're so quick to be like, that's not good enough. Okay, so then what is enough? Like, when will it actually be enough? And then challenging that and being like, but will it really? Because I think something that we often do as greedy humans that we are is, we say, okay, once I do this, once I get here, once I look like this, once I reach this, once I have this many followers, once I re- you know, have this much money, then X, Y, and Z, right? And then we get there and we're like, nope, still not enough. So it's like, I think being, I think defining these things, but also being super honest with yourself about like, okay, but if I get to what this definition is, is implying, will it actually be, like, am I being honest with myself about this? right? Because I feel like sometimes I feel like it's never enough for us, you know? And I will say too, a lot of times when I, I, I teach this thing called Camp Clarity and we build out all of this and I've started to think of success more as like states of being rather than success is when I hit 10K followers or success is when I hit a million dollars or whatever those numbers are. Like one of my measures of success is that I have enough to, in well, that's the long version. The short version is I'm generous. That like, I know that I'm successful when I'm generous. And what's really cool about the way that I define generosity is that generosity could be, yes, me donating to one of my favorite nonprofits, but it could also be like, I know something that another business owner doesn't. And so I hop on a call with her for 30 minutes to help her figure it out. Or it could be, I make an introduction, or it could be that I smile at someone or I see someone who's like struggling to carry something and I help them carry it the 10 steps to their car. Like those are all ways that I can be generous. And for most of those, I can do that how no matter how much money is in my bank account. So it brings it back to things that I can always choose to embody, whether or not these external factors are present. I love it because it's like you're bringing it back to an intention. And I feel like when it's not tied to something that is fleeting, that's when we find like the real magic, right? I think also collectively, we've never spoken so much about self-care ever, you know, but also we're more stressed than ever. So what gives? Like, how do we explain that? Because I know you talk about this in the book, but... Quite sneaky, I think... Um, self-care became really trendy and it's funny because I say in the book I'm like I started this self-care company and people are like cool so what does that mean like do you sell toothpaste (laughs) there literally are like luxury toothpaste companies or do you do retreats or any number of things that could have been sold to us as self-care and I think that's part of it like marketing's job is to tell us that there's a problem that something else can help us solve And sometimes there really isn't a problem there or the solution that they're giving us often. 
is something that is not going to get to the root of the care that we need. And so a lot of the solutions that were being sold in terms of just like, just spend a bunch of money on the skincare and I have skincare that I love. Like all of these things that I'm saying are things that I also partake in to a certain extent, but I'm very mindful that like when I get this foundation that I love, it's, will my skin look glowy? Yes. Will it solve the emotional conversation that I might need to have with myself or with my husband? No. Like, but the marketing tends to tell us, like, if you get this, you are going to be that girl and you are going to be so beautiful and all of your problems are going to be solved. And that that is not the case. I think capitalism has really done a number on the self-care and the wellness industries in particular. And a lot of times what they're selling is disconnecting us from ourselves. Like we have the answers for how you should get better when really what we need is to get more connected to ourselves. So it's actually doing the opposite of what we need to be cared for. I wrote down something that I loved in the book and you said redefining self-care includes admitting that self-care can't fix everything and i feel like that's really in line mm-hmm. with what you're saying now where it's like yeah sure i love a bubble math i bubble bath i love a face mask i love skincare but i know that these things that are that can be categorized as self-care i know that they're not going to fix like you said emotional things or hardships or you know whatever it is. I know it's not going to fix my body acceptance journey, like things like that, right? Where it's like, yeah, we just, we, we have to understand that there, there has to be more. Yeah. And I see that from a couple of perspectives. Like I talk in the book about the ecosystems of care and like we need community care and we have all of these other things that need to change for many of us to feel cared for. Like the example, I don't have kids. I don't know if I'll ever have kids, but it's really hard if you're a mom and people are like, just practice self-care and you're like, well, cool, but like I'm trying to raise this human and it costs like the cost of my full paycheck for me to put them in daycare, but I'm trying to work because it makes me feel fulfilled. Maybe there's some other structural things that could change that would actually support my care besides me just like meditating for 30 minutes a day. So that can be a big issue. And then the other thing with the self-care and it supporting us is supporting us or not is a lot of things can be either surface level or head knowledge that aren't integrated where we're like doing these things as band-aids but sometimes self-care requires you getting uncomfortable and doing things underneath the surface and we don't want to do that and those aren't the things that like turn into cute little TikToks. those are the things that like take weeks and months and sometimes years to really integrate and see that change in your life along the same lines there's a part in the book where you talk about silence and I was I felt attacked because I don't like silence. Um, not that I can't do it, but I love I live alone and I work from home, so I love having some sort of noise on all day. So I wake up immediately. There's a podcast playing. I like to get my mind right. I like to think, listen to something inspirational. Then while I'm working, I have like chill, jazzy vibes. Then at night, I have my trash reality TV. Like I like to have noise on at all times, right? But I also, and I joke about this too. That's why when I was reading this in in the book, I was like, wait, because I make a joke. I tell people like, it can't be good that I don't like to be in silence. Like that can't be a good thing. So why are we scared of silence? And also, can you bust the myth that we have to sit in silence for hours in order to connect with ourselves? Because I think that's also something that I loved that you highlighted in the book where it's like, don't get overwhelmed with this. Like you don't have to sit in in an hour. You don't have to sit for an hour by yourself and just like stare at the wall, but like a few minutes where maybe you would be listening to a song on the last little bit of your drive home, turn off the song and just like see how you feel, like check in with yourself. But I think I think when things are so simple, we almost just skip through them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I think in my head, I'm like, yeah, I could, you know, this drive is five minutes. I could just not listen to music and I, I could just like have a moment with myself and be silent, but it's so short. I'm just going to play a song, whatever, right? Because it's so simple, we, we therefore don't think it, we don't see the magnitude of what it could actually do. So much good stuff in there. So the first thing, why is silence hard? 
I think, I mean, it's it can be scary. Sometimes we don't want to hear from ourselves yeah. because we know in the back of our mind <laughs> that that means that we would have to yeah. have this conversation with ourselves or we'd have to deal with a relationship that needs a tough conversation. And it's much easier for us to just listen to other things and to drown it out. So part of it is because like we are wise and we know enough about ourselves to know, ooh, if I if I turn this off, I might have to go there and I don't know if I want to go there. The other thing is sometimes it feels safer, especially I'm speaking to like fellow self-help junkies like me. It feels easier to hear to listen to someone else, especially like I love podcasts too. Um, but sometimes I have to pause on the podcast because it's just giving me so much of people telling me basically what worked for them, which is lovely. But then my brain, instead of being like doing some critical thinking and thinking, okay, why does this work for them? And how could I alter this to make it work for me? I'm like, okay, I just follow this. And so it feels easier to just hear from other people and feel like we're doing the work, which we are to a certain extent, but it, the lack of silence allows us to skip the level of really being in that deep relationship with ourselves. So that's my answer to your first part of it is like, those are the two big reasons why I see people being uncomfortable with silence. On the other end of things, this pride that can come when we're like, I meditate, I meditate for 30 minutes a day, I meditate for 60 minutes a day or whatever you do, that when we see it presented in that way, it can feel like, oh, that is the way to do it. And when I'm talking about silence, I'm not even necessarily talking about meditation. I want you to hear your thoughts. I want you to have those come up. And I'd so much rather you do that for a few minutes and get used to hearing from yourself than to just stuff it down and ignore it. Because you'd be surprised what can come up. It's almost like I can feel it in my body and my mind sometimes where it's like, oh, okay, you gave us space. We have all of these ideas. Like it, I'm before I was talking about like the harder things that might come up, but sometimes it's like, oh yeah, you've been like worried about this thing. Thanks for being silent for a few minutes. Here are three ways you could solve that problem. <laughs> like, or here are five things that you could be grateful for that you didn't take uh, some time to just like be grateful for that thing. So, so many lovely things come up. And the best part about it is that you build this relationship, this trust with your inner wisdom through the silence. I love that. And I think it's just a nice little reminder for anybody listening. Like you don't have to get overwhelmed. You don't have to sit and meditate for 30 minutes. You don't have to meditate at all if you don't like to do it, if you don't want to do it. But I get, not even like challenge yourself, but just see what happens if you start to give yourself a few, give yourself a few minutes of just thinking. I listened to this podcast with this couple, um, The Skinny Confidential, and Lauren, one of the hosts, always talks about how she gives herself thinking time. Like literally in the schedule, it's just 30 minutes, nothing, no interruptions. It's just time for her to think, sit and think. And I I always say like, I want to do that. I want to give myself that. And then I'm like, no, it's fine. I have too much to do. Like I have, you know, it's not going to be productive or useful, but it's like, how will I know unless I try it? You know? And, and I love this example that you gave where it's like, we're scared of what the bad things we might think of that might come up. But what if it's like something, what if it's a, an incredible idea? What if it's a solution to something? What if it's, I don't know. We don't know what it could be. Yeah. Right. Or even just an appreciation for yourself. Sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I did that. I did this really hard thing or this thing that used to be hard for me and I was just so focused on the next task that I never like took a second to celebrate that. Like there's so many things that can come up when you give yourself a little space. In a nutshell, because I feel like this could be a whole other episode, what do you think are the biggest issues with the way that we are approaching self-care in social media, like on TikTok and the same morning routines that we see and the same this and that? Like. I loved in the beginning of the book where you talked about that girl and I'm using quotes and for anybody who listens to the podcast that they'll know I really didn't like when that was trending like when it was like that girl morning routine or that girl day in the life or whatever it is I understand it's not supposed to be so serious I understand it's just supposed to be a trendy thing but it didn't sit with me the right way because I was like I feel like this is just implying that this is the only way that you're gonna feel a certain way or look a certain way or have a certain life where it's like 
I don't want to fucking juice in the morning. I don't want to, you know, wake up at five in the morning and have four hours where I'm doing this routine. Whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and bash it, but I'm, let me just get back to the question. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah. I mean, I have feelings about that too. That's why, like when I wrote that, it was at peak that girl era. And I felt like my whole for you page was just Mm -hmm. like video after video of all of those that girl things that they all looked the exact same that I think that's that was my issue that's exactly what I was gonna say like one of the reasons I felt really passionate about getting into this space is like I'm a black woman I have big boobs I have a fat ass like I like have not always felt seen and accepted in the wellness space in those types of trends particularly it's like it you need to look like this and you are like this and this is the epitome of wellness which excluded me excluded people who looked like me excluded people who have different foods in their culture that support their well-being so all of those things i'm just like it's frustrating to me it's also like you said and we're kind of picking on this trend in particular but i think it does a good job of illustrating the fact that we as humans like to we we don't love nuance our brain doesn't love nuance even though life is very gray and nuanced so our brain wants to be like this is well this is unhealthy this is good this is bad this is what we're supposed to strive to this is what we're not supposed to look like and the that girl became, even if it was kind of tongue in cheek, the standard that we are supposed to uphold to instead of acknowledging that what works for you in the morning is very likely different than what works for me in the morning. And are there broadly some things that are supportive for most people? Yes. But are they going to look different for everyone and how we implement them? Also, yes. So that's one thing is this like, kind of generalization of wellness and self-care and well-being and this attempt to standardize at the risk of losing other people who don't look like that standard. The other thing that I have a problem with, and this is a little bit more on Instagram, is, no, this is on TikTok too, it's just videos instead of text, but sometimes And this is partly why my company doesn't post as much on Instagram anymore, because I'm so interested in like actual transformation and people actually applying things in their life. And social media can feel like this quick hit where we learn about a concept and we're like, great, I know about this concept, but that's very different than figuring excuse me, that's very different than figuring out how you can apply that concept in your life, which is different than actually applying it. And there's this tendency to like double click, double tap, feel like we like something, share it to our stories, do a like repost it, do edit, whatever. And to feel like that means that we have now mastered that concept when really all it means is that we interacted with a video or a photo on social media. It doesn't say anything about the work that goes into actually implementing that into your life. It's like this snack size self-care or social, like it's, it's bite-sized. It's kind of like it gives you this jolt, but it's not actually nourishing. So how do you combat that, right? Because I'm sure you want to share this information and you want to share different tips and different definitions and different just experiences. So how do you, uh, how are you navigating that is my question. It's hard because I do like I'm here talking about tips. I wrote a book that has tips on it. Like we could say the same thing to a certain extent for books. I wrote all of this stuff down. It's one thing for people to read it and another thing for people to actually apply it. One thing that I try to do as much as possible is to just like tell people like read this thing and then maybe like get off of social media and try it or it seems annoying sometimes, but like coming back to things, like and being willing to talk about how you're trying something and how it's working and how it's changing. The other thing that is the simplest thing that people could do is really just say, this is what works for me. I am sharing these tips that worked for me. Try it out. I love how you're using this language of like, yeah, try it, test it, experiment with it. It might work for you. You might have to tweak it a little bit. So much of what's on social media right now is like 
me taking my personal experience and saying it should be everyone's experience with how they engage with wellness. So that's like, if we, if we all do one thing, it could just be speaking from the eye and being really explicit about that piece. I think I was so subjected to, again, when I was so sucked into diet culture, I was receiving this information online and the way that I was receiving it was this is the only way to live. This is the only way to eat. This is what I have to do if I want to look this way, if I want to be beautiful, if I want to be deemed as beautiful, whatever it is, right? So I know what that feels like. And yes, that was my fault for receiving that information that way, but it was also in the way that it was being said as like, it was also the only kind of body that was being celebrated in in a moment, right? Or maybe what I was consuming, that's also on me. But I think also when you like go through a lot of shit and you're in therapy, you learn I'm so careful with my words because I never want someone to feel like when they're listening to me talk about something or if I'm sharing something that they have to do it or that I think it's the best or that I think it's going to make them feel a certain way. Never. I always say in my episodes, I literally always say like, if there's anything you needed in here, take it. If there's anything you didn't need in here, leave it. Because the things that I like, you're maybe you're not going to like all of them, right? And so... I totally hear you when when you were talking about how we make these generalizations of this is what wellness looks like. I think we love to put people in boxes. We love to put things in boxes. It's like for some reason easier for us to do like this is the epitome of wellness. This is the epitome of this. This is what's trending right now. This is the body that's trending right now. This is the workout that's trending right now where it's like that's the shit that makes me so angry because bodies should never be trending. First of all, let's just start there. And second of all, we could all probably do a better job at being more careful with the way we word things, right? It's so simple. It's such a simple, instead of every video saying that girl morning routine, this is how I wake up in the morning. This is my morning routine. Like, why do we have to, it, that's the sh- that's what bothers me. And I know it's so simple, right? Like somebody could be like, Lisa, relax. It's not that serious. But if you are, I just think of myself like six or seven years ago and how fragile I was and how I was looking for any, I was just, you know, letting an external source tell me what was beautiful or what was what was going to make me worthy. So that's why I'm like, actually, words do matter. And you don't know who could be receiving that information in what way. Mm-hmm. That was so beautifully said. I was like sitting here like trying not to make too much noise because I want to like snap and be like, yes, yes. Like there, it's wild. Going back to these high schoolers that I'm talking to, like a couple weeks ago, one of them was talking about how people don't feel good about their bodies. The people in her life that she knows that feel the most confident are the people who got plastic surgery. And I'm not moralizing whether or not you get plastic surgery, but the fact that her thought is the way that you love your body is that you get plastic surgery is a big indicator of how people are talking online and all these things about their experience, but perhaps generalizing it. And especially on platforms like TikTok, it's just served up to so many people who are impressionable for whatever reason. And like you said, just being able to say, this is what works for me. This is my journey. This is my experience. And it doesn't make you any less of an expert. It doesn't make you any more less interesting to follow. It actually probably makes you more relatable to be someone who can do that. And it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Amy Poehler, where she just says, good for her, not for me. And like, I always go back to this reminder, what works for you, Lisa, good for her, may not be for me. And that's great. I'm not better than you, you're not better than me, we're just different and we can celebrate that. Absolutely. That's so scary to me what that high schooler said to you because I feel like we have more celebration of different body types online we have more celebration of the of them right now than ever before we still have a ways to go i know however that's terrifying to hear you know because i think before it was very clear that there was a certain body that was that was celebrated now we see and i think have understood that you know beauty is all shapes and sizes right but that's crazy that that's still like a leading thought you know? Yeah, I was so surprised. I was like really having to unpack, like having to have this conversation like, okay, so what could it look like to love your body? We talk about both body positivity and body neutrality in that workshop and to be like, okay, so what, what could that look like if you didn't get 
plastic surgery or if someone didn't get plastic surgery, how could they still be body positive or body neutral? And it was like hard for me to conceive of the fact that that was the only way she could see it. But that's her experience. I think what you're doing is so like that is so beautiful that you have these conversations and that's so impactful and so important. And we I feel like we need more tailors in this world um, and our time is running out, unfortunately. But I want to quickly just wrap up talking about your new book, which if it's not obvious already, I think everybody should be reading it and it will be linked in the description because it will now be live. Um, but I know this is probably an annoying question, but if somebody was to take one thing from your new book, what would you want it to be? Not annoying at all. I think if people could take one thing from the book, okay, I'm going to cheat and say two things, but the first thing, <laughs> if it isn't already clear, like I think it's so important for you to hear from yourself. And like, if they took one thing, it's like, how can you turn down the volume on some of the outside stuff and really start to amplify your inner voice and your inner wisdom. That yes, will impact your self-care, but like also has ripple effects in your career, your relationships, all of these things. The other thing that I would add just as a bonus is like, give yourself so much grace because as we talked about today, there's so many systems, there's these apps, there's algorithms, there's structural systems that have in many ways conditioned us to think and to relate to ourselves in certain ways. So I don't want you to internalize this and be like, it's all my fault because you've got really smart people who are trying to get you to think the way that you are thinking right now. So give yourself a lot of grace. I mean, there's nothing I could add to that. Mic drop. That was so beautiful. Um, I absolutely loved this conversation. I know my audience is going to absolutely love it. So thank you so much for spending an hour with me. I'm so excited for this to go live. Go buy Taylor's book. Everything will be linked. Take the assessment. Tell me what, tell me what you think. And um, yeah, thank you so much. I loved this. Thank you too. This was so fun. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.